Hello and welcome to the 4D Athletes Podcast. Before we get started, be sure to sign up for our free five-day course on how to navigate your child through sports. The link is in the description below and it will give you tips and strategies on how to help you and your child have a better sports experience. Now let's get into episode 71 of the 4D Athletes Podcast. Hello, welcome to 71 of the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Holzer, along with my friend, Jimmy Huber. Jimmy, good morning to you. Good morning to you. You know, every episode we try to pack with as much knowledgeable information on leadership, uh, you know, high characteristic qualities. You know, especially today, we have an EQ specialist that also helps with us being better parents. I know, Jim, you and I are always trying to figure out ways to help with our strong-willed children. So, Dude, You've been excited about this one for a while. With this guy's going on, you've been geeked up. You've been pumped. I mean, you've been following her for a while, learning how to become a better parent, right? With your young children growing in front of you and finding better ways. And this is like somebody has been like a sensei, sensei for you or sensei or whatever they call it, right? In martial arts, I got to get the words right. So I know you've been pumped. So it's a big day for you. Well, she's also a relationship coach. She's an author and uh, she's building a K-12 EQ curriculum for the Melinda and Bill Gates Foundation as well. So, I mean, I think she knows what she's talking about. By the way, she's also a sports mom. So anytime we can wrap it around in sports, we're definitely going to do that. So we're going to introduce Rhea Lala today. Rhea, good morning to you. Great to see you today. Good morning, gentlemen. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. Yeah, we have another guest north of the border, Jimmy. So we're going international today from mm-hmm. uh, from Toronto, Canada. So, uh, Rhea, we're going to dive right into it. Give us a little background. You know, how did you get into this field of EQ, relationships, parenting? Because they're all related, but they're all kind of separate at the same time. So can you give us some insight on that? You bet. Well, this really does all go back to when I was a kid and something I think very unique that my dad did with us. And so when I was a kid... Uh, my father would play a game with my sister and I. There's four of us, but you know, my sister and I are 10 years apart from the younger two. And the game went like this. Wherever we went, it could be, I don't know, a coffee shop or an ice cream shop or to a park. He would ask us to look around and you know, we'd see a kid crying or we'd see a couple talking or we'd see, I don't know, somebody that was upset. And he would ask us to let him know, what do you think they're crying about? What do you think they're talking about? What do you think they're upset about? What that actually did and why it was so powerful is, of course, we don't know. We're just making stuff up. And we come up with an answer. And he goes, okay, well, what else you got? And I come up with another answer. And then we got into this imaginative place where we just had to try and imagine, based on the cues, right, how they were standing, their facial cues, what this person's reality was. So essentially, this was... What we didn't know he was building at the time was the ability to climb into somebody else's world and see it from their point of view. So this is where you have to get out of your own biases, your own stories, your own beliefs, your own um, blind spots almost, and uh, use perspective taking. That's essentially what perspective taking is. So that was like how I, you know, we were like trained in that without us even knowing. Um, eventually, that led me to corporate jobs where I worked as a consultant with CEOs and uh, senior management. Um, essentially, that was where, I mean, I just naturally ended up doing this well because we talked about feelings, we talked about emotions, and we took perspective so much that I became good at how do you optimize relationships, um, teaching that. So, for example, I'd observe a CEO and 
I would be able to dissect what they could do to optimize the relationship with their coworkers, the direct reports, their clients. And eventually I branched out because out of that corporate world, uh, I was about to have a baby. I read some things that were paradigm shifts. And then I started uh, just really focusing on EQ with anyone who's in a relationship, specifically parents and their children, but anyone who's in a relationship. And how do you have extraordinary relationships so your kids listen to you, so you thrive, so you become the best version of yourself? And so that brings me to, so I, you know, that's what I do now. I coach, I offer programs and, and I get to get to support people on that journey. So you laid that out. We talked earlier about Bob Proctor, right? Yeah. How he's had a positive influence on all of our lives. And you're able to meet Bob when you're a young child, but he talks about like, and he has, you know, he had the paradigm shift and he talks about, you mentioned perspective. Like we mm -hmm. have these mental faculties and one of them is perspective mm -hmm. to be able to shift a point of view. Yes. And I know like something we talk about is like, how do we though shift our perspective maybe to see, you know, what our child's, you know, point of view is and how to mm -hmm. connect with them better. Cause sometimes our condition as parents, we raise children the way we've been raised. We see things the way we see it. How do we shift that perspective to see it the way our children are seeing it? So the first bit to building perspective taking is you need to First of all, the easiest way to explain perspective taking is this game of imagination, okay? So we have to get into an imaginative place, which means we have to take whatever bias or belief or story that we're running that you know about the situation and put it to the side. So I liken it to you in a visual way. Imagine you're taking a ladder and climbing into somebody else's world. So how do I take a ladder and climb into your world, Jason, or your world, Jim? I would, first of all, begin to analyze what thoughts or stories or words that are already in my mind and coming out of my mouth. I'd have to take pause and see where am I having judgments or beliefs and then ask, is this true? Like what's funneling this? Where is this coming from? Socrates said, know thyself. So the first step in being good at taking perspective is to know yourself. What, where is this? Is some, did somebody tell me something when I was five or eight or 10? Now, that takes some work for me to try and go back and unpackage that and, and, and unravel that onion. But if I'm willing to do that, then I'm willing to, in that moment, while my child's eyes are a little bit down and I'm doing a really good job at trying to read the cues, okay, physical cues, and then using my intuition, something's off. Can't really pinpoint what that is, but something's off. And then look back to where in my past some story that I'm running about the situation might be playing into this moment because that's what humans do. They love stories and they love subscribing meaning to these stories that we create. So to answer your question, if we want to get good at trying to climb in to your children's heart and mind, we have to just notice, you know, like my dad never let me do that. My dad never let me stay up late. My dad never let me give up. In fact, that was one of like, that's my badge of honor. That's my egoic badge of honor. I don't give up. So we have to see how those um, experiences in our childhood that created this wonderful like um, uh, badge of honor that we carry, but there's a yin and a yang to it, right? The yin is, yeah, I get shit. I, sorry, I get stuff done. <laughs> I, you I do get stuff done. I get stuff done. And um, and I also may be putting unconscious pressure that I don't realize I'm doing. 
So we have become masters of reading cues. That's the first, like, that's what I call attunement. You know, when you're with a friend and your friend is telling you, I don't know, maybe their dog passed away and you're sitting across from them at a coffee shop and it's, it's like, there's a lot of pain, whatever they're going through, divorce, death. And in that moment, you're really in there with them. Like you're feel, feeling that pain. You're reading all the, 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 the minute um, changes in facial expression and energy. That is what I call attunement. And when you get really attuned to your kids and you start bringing in your intuition, then um, then you can that that will set you up for success for being able to take perspective. But I guarantee you, if you're not calm and you're running your own story and belief and bias and blind spots, then it's gonna you're gonna struggle to be able to take someone else's perspective. So a prerequisite is that you know how to calm yourself down. Well, that's what I want to ask you about, because I feel like as me as a parent, I've evolved yes. because I've lost my shiitake at times, right? <laughs> With my child. Okay. Yes, my children, I say. And part of it, it goes back to, I feel like there's this ego of being this parent. Like mm -hmm. I, I need a parent a certain way. Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I'm a coach as well. And I, and when I coach teams, my kids do things a certain way. Yes. So my kids aren't doing things a certain way. I'm like, I'm not being a good parent. Or I'm not doing this. Well, they I, I need to maybe change this or I need to figure it out. So let's go back to this. How do we calm ourselves down to not get our ego so involved? We get so frustrated when things aren't working the way we want it to work. And then with that, when you talk about the perspective, finding out your children, where they're at, are there questions we can ask to dive in and maybe take this onion that's there and kind of unravel it to really find out really what's going on with your child? Okay. So you might have to remind me about the second question, but I'm going to answer the first question first, because that is the most powerful question of all. And that is, how do I calm myself down so I can show up the way I want to show up in a way that I feel proud, that I don't have more mess that I have to go clean up afterwards, right? So I think the most important piece of the puzzle here is that feelings are not something that occur in your head. I can't crack open anyone's head here and go, aha, that's where anger is. That's where frustration is. The only thing that's in our head is a meaning and a story that we have about what just happened. So in order to calm ourselves down, we can't go to our head, which generally is not even just our head. It's the left part of our head, which is the left brain, where we're trying to be analytical and uh, logical. And why would you do this? But I told you not to. But, you know, how come this is still happening? So when we... My rule of thumb is you always want to lead with the right brain, redirect with the left. What I mean by the right brain is you want to lead with connection. You want to lead with curiosity. You want to lead with engagement. So to calm ourselves down is not a head thing. It's a body thing. But we've grown up in a world and our parents, they never told us we had a body. We knew there was a body we had to wash. But we never thought about the fact that all of our feelings are actually occurring inside of our body. So if we want to calm down, we can't go to our head to calm us down. Our head's not going to calm us down. Our head is going to run a story about coulda, woulda, shoulda. He said, she said, I don't like that. So you got to get out of your head. And the head is in a tug of war with the body. It's saying, don't you go to the body. Stay here and run a story about what just happened. And we speak from that place. What we got to do is take a few breaths. Take, you know, the timeout is never for the kids. The timeout is for us. It's we go and put ourselves in a mini timeout. Even if we're in a car, we can put ourselves in a timeout if we're driving, which is take a few breaths, go into your body. And this is the, this is the thing. It's we want to go back 
to be in your body means to be with the sensation. So I want you to imagine if there was an animal and you were, I don't know, trying to track that animal, you'd be, have all your wits about you and you'd be looking at tracks and you'd be observing and you'd stay with it and you'd, you know, smell the air if, you know, if you were another animal. Uh, what you're doing is you're tracking this animal that's in our body. So I'll show you how I do it. I get triggered because I told my kids to do something and this is like the fifth time and they're not listening. Okay. So here's what I do. I notice that my voice is getting kind of tony, which my kids are super sensitive to tone. So it's already getting kind of tony. And then now I'm, so I, I know my tells, first of all. I, I I didn't know them before, but now I don't wait to go like, you know, there's a pot throwing, a, you know, flying across the room. Like this is an extreme. I don't throw pots, but I'm just, I don't wait till I'm at that point. I know that I hold all my feelings in my chest. You might hold it in your, your, your neck. You might hold it in your jaw. You might hold it in your throat, but I know I hold it in my chest. So now I do, this is what I do. I just notice that my voice is getting Tony because I'm slowing down and I just feel into my chest, which is where I know I hold my feelings. And I go, it feels tight. It feels contracted. That, and I give it a number from one to 10. Okay. So for everyone that's listening out there, just as simple as that, first of all, figure out where you hold your tension, your anger, your frustration, your sadness in your body. It's, I'm going to tell you right now, it's not going to be in your toes. It's not going to be in your fingers. It's going to be either here, 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 the back of your neck, shoulders, or your chest. So once you figure that out, generally that's the place it's going to be. Then when you figure out where it is, give it a number from one to 10. And you're going to, you know, not everything's a 10. You're going to be probably get to the point where you're very accurate about what number you would give it. Anything over a five, it's like all hands down. You know, you're like doing tickling and it's like, no, stop. And it's all hands down. You just stop everything and you do your timeout. And your self-regulation practice is to be with the feeling. So remember I told you you're tracking the animal out in the wilderness. You are staying with the feeling and the feeling's like this. Imagine this like this little entity going, I ain't going anywhere till you pay attention to me. And I want you to notice me and I want you to love me and I don't want you to think I'm bad. So imagine anger as this entity and we go, you know what? I don't like anger. Anger's not a good emotion. Jealousy, not a good emotion. I'm gonna stick you behind the, in the cupboard and I'll lock the, the key. And so what the feeling does, it says, the feeling is like, let's just use anger for a second. The anger doesn't go anywhere. Imagine, what would what would anger do, you think, if you locked it in a closet? How would it feel? Well, according to uh, that movie uh, Inside Out, it would explode. Yeah. Right. Okay. So anger will get angrier. But here's the thing behind anger. And this is this is just something for, for you to have in your pocket. Behind anger is only ever two feelings always is either sadness or fear. So this is a game changer, folks, because when we get angry, if we stop for a moment, take a few breaths and go, what am I sad or fearful about that is showing up as anger? That's a game changer because then you can get to the root. You can get to, it's not a symptomatic thing. Now you're getting to the systematic core of what's actually funneling this anger. And that is, that is transformational. But it first begins to be able to track in your body and be willing and courageous, not only just on the field, to be in a body that is trying to communicate something and saying, please pay attention to me. Do not leave me. Because what happened when we were kids, 
Nobody was around to help us figure out when we had those big emotions like terror or anger or fear. So now as a grown up, guess what? It's on us to do that work. But if you're willing to do that work, you'll see your relationships fundamentally change in your life and so how you feel change. Yeah. So no, Jason can get into some, but my part, once you calm down and you're trying to connect with your child or there maybe, and you're trying to get, you know, understand the perspective. Yes. There are questions that you can start maybe asking them to get them sure. to open up to discuss, you know, to talk to you. Absolutely. Okay. So the first thing I do though, if I was upset and I did make some mess, I go and I clean it up because there's no statute of limitations. So I go, I would say something like this, you know, son, I noticed that I raised my voice. I noticed I got Tony. I noticed I was getting angry and I just want you to let you know that I'm responsible for my own feelings. So I want to first remove the responsibility that they made me feel it and put it back on me. So I, I clean that up. Uh, and then the questions that I, to understand the perspective is I'd say, um, okay, so in that moment, the, this is the next very important piece is feelings govern everything. Even like left brain things like which car to choose or which investment to make. Feelings are behind every decision that we make. So the job becomes when we're trying to take perspective is to try and understand and create safety with our kids so that they feel safe to tell us what just went on. Okay. So I'm going to give you an example of this that's sports oriented that would, would help illustrate this. I want you to imagine that you have a boy and the boy is eight and he decides he it's his big soccer game and his parents are both there. Usually it's just mom, but dad comes out this day. He's got an older brother. The older brother's 15. Uh, he plays baseball. Dad tends to be able to make the baseball games because it's on a Saturday, whereas this boy's games are on a Wednesday and he has to work. Okay. So all of a sudden, you know, this boy's really amped. He's excited because, uh, you know, mom and dad are watching me and I want to bring my best game. And then all of a sudden, he's trying to get the ball. He can't. He tries to make a few shots, doesn't make it in. He's feeling daunted. He's feeling disappointed. He's feeling a sense of even shame. So as he's getting off the field, he kind of hits into one of the players with his shoulders, okay, and knocks them. Of course, the coach sees that. The coach comes over and says, hey, that's not good sportsmanship. You know, you, you need to, like, pull your socks up and, and smarten up. Uh, the, the parents see this. They're embarrassed a little bit because they're thinking, you know, it was my kid that's pushing somebody or being a little bit aggressive. So the parents like kind of ream him out and say, why did you do that? And the child now is feeling so that he's just got reamed out by his coach a bit, just got reamed out by the parent. He can see the disapproving face on dad's facial expressions. OK, watch this. Here's what that son would have been wanting to say if he had the language and was able to know himself in that moment. Dad, I am so happy that you came today because sometimes when you go to Jeffrey's baseball games, I actually secretly think that you like him better than me. And I know that, you know, it may not be obvious to you, but you always seem to be smiling when he's around. So I really do believe she's a favorite. And I so wanted you to be proud of me. I so wanted you to think that I was just equally worthy of that love and uh, now, I didn't score any points and I feel like you're disappointed in me and I don't know what to do with all this anger inside, but I just feel scared that nobody's going to think I'm cool or interesting or have any skills whatsoever. And do you still love me? That whole tirade is in that child's body. So here's what the parent could have done instead of 
pointing out his flaw by hitting into somebody. If he would, they would have recognized that that's not the teachable moment. The teachable moment to talk about do we hit or that's not nice or you know you can you know that's not how we want to show up or good sportsmanship was for later on, right before bed when you go into the room and you talk to them in a loving space about hey you know I could see you were really upset earlier on today. What can we do when we're upset? Tell me. And how, how can, and let's do some deep breaths right now and give me, let's brainstorm together. And I love you. And I know you can do this and I believe in you. But in that moment, what the parents could have said is, Hey, um, uh, Freddie, I can see that you're really upset right now. Something's going on. And, um, I just want to let you know that I love you. I know that right now you might feel that, um, the game's not going the way you want it to go, but, uh, you just go out there and do the best you can. Your father and I are clapping for you. Like, this is what I mean by perspective. The parents are trying to climb in and imagine what would have had that child hit someone. He hit them because he didn't know what to do with all the feelings. But the parent in that moment is showing love and support and saying, I'm not going to pull away love in this moment. That's number one. We never pull away love when we're angry because then the love becomes untrustable. It's like, I only love you when you show up like this. There is no circumstances that I want. Don't think I haven't done it. I'm not sitting here like I'm on Mount Olympus in yoga pose. But there's no circumstances where it's okay to pull away love, which means you're going to hold their hands and you might want to give them feedback while you're holding your hands and saying with your eyes and energy, I believe in you. I love you. And how can we turn this around right now? How can we take a breath? but not because I'm, I'm in any way trying to show this. So the perspective taking that I would have had to do in that moment is my mind is scanning for not just noticing that I'm feeling embarrassed. Notice that the lady next to me is thinking, you better talk to your son. Notice that I'm forgoing the want to please her in order to show up for my son in the way he needs to. And then reading all the cues and using my imagination to try and figure out what would cause. He's a good kid. They're all good kids, actually, because no one comes out of the womb wanting to fight somebody, right? No one comes out of the womb wanting to be argumentative and difficult. Every single thing that we see as bizarre or bewildering behavior happened in a context, happened in an environment, an experience that created this result. So we need to just roll up our sleeves and get busy trying to figure out. And if we, our imagination can fill that, then we do our time out until we can get to the place of imagination and curiosity and questions. What was going on for you? Tell me, and right in that moment, if you ask that question, he may not be able to answer that question. He might say, I don't know. I don't know why I hit him. So the real ninja move is to footnote that, wait for the teachable moment, which is honestly probably when you get home and you're, you've got some distance from the interaction. And then you say, hey, I know she got really angry earlier on today. I noticed that you pushed the kid, you know, what was going on? Notice there's no judgment. There's no tone. There's only curiosity. That's what perspective taking is. And, and always falling behind, I believe in you. Well, and really that kind of segues into, you know, we, we talked one time about, you know, micro traumas or things that happen. Maybe that, that, that like we always see trauma as something that happens to you, but maybe it's the things that don't happen to you. Like, you know, for example, dad missing a game or, you know, things like that. Can you dive into, you know, 
how sometimes trauma gets overlooked and then those little traumas like build up and build up. And sometimes that leads to the behavior. Now we can get more curious about what the behavior is and maybe what's happened before that. So we can maybe understand why they're doing what they're doing. You bet. So I just want to explain trauma in a different way that most people interpret trauma. So most people think about trauma as, and it could be, you know, you were beaten within an inch of your life, your parent, I've, I've heard every story you can imagine. Uh, my parents locked me in the bathroom all weekend and they fed me an egg. So, uh, you know, you go to war and there's the traditional ways that people might think of trauma. Trauma is the Greek word for wound. Okay. So anywhere we had a wound, which means all of us are wounded. Our parents loved us the best they can, but there were places where we had a need and our parents didn't know, did not know or have the tools to show up and fill that need for us. It's not because they didn't love us. It's just that they didn't know. And they were probably follow, um, following patterns from their own parent, parents, their own parents. So uh, if we have intense feelings and we don't know what to do with them, and then it happens again and again and again, no matter how innocuous, it literally changes the structure of our brains. Okay, so that's trauma. Now, trauma is not just what happened to you, but it's also what didn't happen to you. So maybe growing up, you wanted your parents to praise you. Maybe you wanted them to not show so much favoritism because it felt like favoritism. Maybe you felt that they judged you or criticized you or ignored you. So it could be something that they did, but it could also be something they didn't do. Like you wanted more hugs, but they didn't know to give you hugs. All of that can show up as a wound or what we call trauma. Okay. So, uh, and then what happens is, is, um, and it's not even the events that causes the trauma. It's how we interpreted the events. That's very important because two people can have the same experience and one is wounded from it and one isn't wounded from it. Okay. So, then we have triggers, and I'll just talk about that quickly. So we have these things that happen in our childhood. Then we grow up, we get long legs, long arms, bigger heads, and then a trigger, then we get triggered by things. Somebody says something, somebody does something, and a trigger is an, like an archaic throwback to a trauma or a wound that we had, but it feels like it's happening in the present. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. Yes. So these are traumas and triggers. So how can we... Um, try and mitigate it. Was that the question? How do we, you know, ensure yeah. that we're not traumatizing our kids? Uh, well, this still goes back to probably words that I live by, which, and Socrates said it in the most simplest form, which is to know, know thyself. So my kids will, I will unconsciously pass on all of my trauma onto my children if I don't become conscious of my motivations, both conscious and unconscious. Of course, that begs the question, well, how do you become of your, how do you become aware of things you just don't know because it's in your unconscious? Well, one way is to ask people around you. So it's like a blind spot. I'd ask my husband, I'd ask my kids for feedback. I'd ask my friends that I trust and love, hey, is there anything that I'm doing or any way of being that I'm showing up as that, um, that feels creates distance or disconnection or where you don't feel loved or not important. I'm on a hunt. I'm fetishizing, trying to figure out what is it that I don't see. So I'm already trying to think through my own meditations, tracking the feeling, trying to get to that epiphany at the end of that tether of feeling to try and understand why did I just say and do what I just did? Where did that come from? I'm already doing that inner work, but I'm also asking the people around me, 
I don't have to take on what they tell me, but if I'm really in it to win it, it's very difficult if we don't get feedback from the people that love us because they will see all of our crazies and neuroses and pathologies in a way that we can't. So to, so the first part of this um, question is how do we help our kids to not be traumatized and how do we help them through that? First is figuring out what, what things am I uh, passing on to them that they are going to be simply because they live in the house and they see me doing my thing. And that's what we are, guys. We are pattern repeaters. We repeat the patterns of our past. We might optimize in areas, sure. We might say, oh, you know, my, my parents spanked me. I'm never going to spank my kids. We might do a shift that, that way. But if we really want to figure it out, we have to figure out what's going on inside of us. So that's one. Then, uh, so if, so now if our kids are feeling a feeling of, like you're worried that our kids might feel trauma or have some wounds because of a situation or us, this is where we have to get really good at asking questions and creating safety. Safety before questions. What I mean by safety is, is imagine you were going to tell somebody your deepest, darkest secret. What would they have to say? What would they have to be? How would they have to show up? Eyes, ears, body, language, energy that would have you tell them and feel that I, that me sharing this with you is in, is in pure safety and acceptance. Like I'd have to think about how would somebody have to show? It's not just, it's okay. You're safe. You could tell me, but you're saying the words, but your energy share, says something different. So I first want to embody what would it be like? What would it feel like? What would I want? How do I even work through my own judgment that's niggling inside of me, but trying to smile through? It's okay. But meanwhile, inside, I have a whole big judgment call about what just happened. And I'm secretly trying to show like I'm understanding parent, but really I'm just waiting to show, uh, stick in my own two cents about how yeah, I could have been optimized. You can't fake that. Your kids can smell that a mile away. So I have to really figure out what is funneling all my emotions. And then um, the actual questions I'd ask is, uh, I notice is a great way to start. I noticed that uh, you've been quiet tonight at dinner. I noticed that, uh, you know, today when we were having, we were in the car after the game, you were a bit um, silent or you were a bit despondent. Um, and I would create an opportunity where, so the child goes, oh, nothing, I don't want to talk about it. I never let anything go. Nothing ever goes underneath. So what I'm doing is most of parenting is about finding the timing. You're looking for that perfect intersection between where the child's heart and mind is receptive and you're calm and engaged. Okay. So that might not be in the car ride home. That might be right before bed. Being a, a conscious parent or a conscious coach is about footnoting everything constantly. Footnoting and looking for what's the right time for me to bring this up to this child so that I get not shut down not reactivity, not resistance, but responsiveness. So a lot of that has to first do with this whole package of energy. And then the next piece is using the words like I noticed that, you know, what was going on for you. And then the other added piece is using your intuition, your very well-crafted intuition. Maybe you felt like, for example, going back to the child playing soccer, it, I'd have to use my imagination. I go, could he have been feeling that he's 
you know, didn't show up the way he wanted to because he missed a few goals. So I go, I might speak to that a bit so that I'm, I'm basically helping him understand or her understand themselves. I'm also all the way through childhood trying to help them work on their emotional language. So for moments like these, they can go, I felt jealous. If I have a kid that says, I feel jealous, I am pumping my fist metaphorically in the air going, what a win. I felt um, left out. I felt insecure. I felt lonely. That to me is the biggest win a parent could hear because then, you know, a child can articulate it's, you know, it's only when you can't, you don't know your feelings. It's not like it grows gang gangrene inside your body. It's when you don't know then it goes and it festers somewhere and it turns green. But if you can take everything from the dark and bring it to the light by helping your kids with building their emotional language. And how do you do that? You use emotional language. You share stories. You tell your son about that time that you felt left out and you didn't have anyone to sit with on in the playground. You tell your son about how I remember my big, you know, my son, my son played was in a basketball game. Uh, there was a, uh, the fans are in the stands. He's a very competitive player and he had an off day. He calls me up and he tells me I wasn't at this game. He calls me up and he tells me, I don't feel well. Okay. This, I'll just share this really quick story. He goes, I don't feel well. The first thing that goes to my mind is that every physical ailment has to do with an emotional reason. Okay. So in that moment, uh, I couldn't get him to recognize that the reason why you're feeling that tummy ache is because you probably you didn't play the game because I didn't have all the data. That's what my intuition was picking up on. So I don't know, ended up picking him up. And then as we are within the first hour of coming back, we sat down and put my arm around him, let him know how much I love him, had him feel really good. And then within an hour, here's what we got out. You know what? Because I was asking questions about the game really softly, non-confrontational, just with curiosity and love. Everybody's within the stands. When he asked one of his so-called halfway buddies, how do you play? He goes, oh, you didn't play good at all today. And then when he shot shot the ball and he missed a couple times, one, one guy in the stands started yelling, air ball. So my point being is see how that showed up physically. Now, I don't know if in that moment when he told me he had a tummy ache, whether or not he clued into that, but I'm grateful that within an hour of softness and questioning, we could get to that place. So my next question is, what could we do next time when somebody's saying that and then in that moment you're feeling triggered or you're feeling not good enough? What could we do? And then we started to brainstorm. Well, it could have gone outside and just taken like just a few deep breaths. He, then he said, I could have remembered that I'm the one who's in the ring, the ring of life. <laughs> right? He's in the ring. The other guy's in the stands, but he's in the ring going all out. So this is um, this. So trauma is first about recognizing our own trauma that we might be passing on. It's also uh, creating safety. It's creating language. And I think one of the, if I had to give you a quick how-to, let your kids, for, for both adults and kids, um, help your kids recognize where they store feelings in their body. Let them start to realize that, uh, you know, if people understood how much their body is trying to communicate what it is they need and then have the language to support that, then they'll be able to not feel stuck in an emotion for any longer than they have to, which is probably one of the biggest superpowers you could have. And for, for parents, 
Um, if you notice yourself getting tripped up and triggered a lot about something, start tracking that. Just start tracking. Just out of, You don't even tell anyone you're doing this. Uh, this got, I just noticed I was really upset about that. And just write it down on your phone or something. And just see if there's a pattern to what trips you up. Hmm. And then you'll start to see, yeah, I get tripped up whenever somebody says the word I can't. Something about that trips me up. And then now we can go, okay. And then when I respond, I respond with like some heavy energy. Then you can start dissecting that um, and trying to understand what was at the root, why that trips me up so much. And then you can begin to shift it. But you can't if you're unaware of why these words or behaviors trigger you. Right. I, I do want to, you you packed a lot in there. I mean, yeah, a lot of great stuff. And going back to the trauma, like, you made me think about, of course, we, we know like almost your condition genetically and environmentally, right? And almost like till the almost age of five to seven or whatever, till you kind of reasoning factors develop. Yes. But you mentioned something as a parent. I noticed like I had to get an awareness of myself, right? Mm-hmm. Of what is triggering me because I would act in a certain way. And one thing that caught me one time is I noticed my, my kids, well, I have an eight-year-old and a six-year-old, but I think he was around like, maybe six and four, but I noticed he used to get upset and angry, frustrated at his younger brother. And mm-hmm. I started looking like, that's me. That's me. Like I start getting like that. And I noticed like I've conditioned him in a certain way, in a negative way. And I've had, I had to apologize to him and talk to him and explain to him, this is what's happening. And this is why, and, and because of me, and I need to help you to how to handle your emotions better. So in saying that, I do have a question for you is say these kids have been conditioned, whether it's maybe environmentally by their parents in a negative way, and yeah. it's it's in them and things happen and they lose their shiitake and they get angry. I got a five-year-old that he can blow like a volcano at times, right? Yeah. And old Bob Proctor stuff is like, you know, you know, knowledge your thoughts, the way you think is the way you feel, the way you feel, like the way you act, the way you act, the results you get. Yeah. Is there a way that you guide children when they start getting upset and you start getting to think about this process to go back like the way they're thinking and breathing and get them to be able to settle down. Is there certain strategies? There is. Teach our kids. Yeah. So uh, when I mentioned that being able to get into your body is where all the power is, uh, you know, at the beginning, kids, if you sit to the, if okay, so for if you have a kid that's um, five and under, and, and you can even do this with older kids, but what I would get them to do is just so they become aware of their breath and their body, I would have them lie down next to you and you can put a teddy bear on their belly and just ask them to get the teddy bear to rise all the way up as, as high as you can on your belly and lower. So they just start getting too used to what it is to breathe properly. Because a lot of people breathe from here and here, they're not really doing diaphragmic breathing, which will actually, um, activate the parasympathetic nervous system so that they can um, calm their nervous system down. So they need to know how to breathe. Another thing you can do is, which is really what yoga is about. People think yoga is about poses. Yoga is about being in your body. So when you're at meditation, the reason why you're clearing your mind is because you don't want to have monkey mind jumping around. So for kids that are older, like I used to run some boys clubs, for example, and they would be eight, nine, 10. And I'd have them sit down and you play some music and it could be anything. You could be you could guide them to, I want you to just, uh, well, we could do it right now. I want you to just close your eyes and I want you to focus on the hinge of your jaw. Okay, just noticing your hinge of your jaw, noticing 
if you're holding any tension or any tightness or any pressure, just soften it. We just want to relax your jaw, loosen it, moving all the way down to your chin, softening your chin. Let's just move now to the back of our shoulders, tops of our shoulders, noticing if they're, let's just squeeze them up really tight for a second. Yep, beautiful. And just relax them, letting everything just let go and relax. Noticing if there's anything heavy or anything contracted, just let it go and softening them. And I'll just do one more. Let's go to our chest. Just feel that whole area where your heart is and your lungs. Just feel into noticing if there's any tightness or pressure or tension. And now we're going to do some nice deep breaths and we're going to soften your chest. Whatever you don't want, just let it go and fall beside you. And essentially, I'd be doing things like that. So I'd want the child, teen, to start becoming aware that they have a body. So when I'm going to their jaw, then feeling into your throat, what I'm wanting them to notice is, is there any tightness, contraction, pressure, uncomfortability there? Because your body is like catching something upstream. You don't want to wait till you're yelling and screaming and hyper. What you want to do is catch it all the way down the stream. And the place that's going to tell you that is not your head, it's your body. So the more that we can have kids to go into their soma and have a visceral sensorial experience of, oh yeah, you know, it feels like something's on my chest and it feels really tight. As I'm guiding them, and eventually you can teach them how to do this for themselves. As I'm guiding them to notice anything that's light, we're just going to make, like sometimes I ask somebody to imagine a rainbow and take your, the color that you like the most and bring it into your chest and just swirl around in there. What's happening in that moment is they be, they're not thinking about the game. They're not thinking about what dad said. They're in the moment because I'm, I'm going to prove it to everyone that's listening right now. Right now, whoever has their feet on the ground, or even if it's on a bed or on a couch, I want you to focus on, and even if it's in a sock, I want you to focus on your big toe. You don't, don't move your big toe, just focus on how it feels in your sock, how it feels against the wood floor or the carpet, how it feels just in space. Just have a, an awareness that you have a big toe. Good? I can guarantee in that moment, that was you being in your now. Guaranteed, you if everyone did that exercise, nobody's thinking about how they played yesterday, what dad said this morning, because you were in the moment, right? All you were thinking about is your big toe. So that's what we're trying to do, either through you guiding them so that they can learn to do it for themselves, to be in their body and learn how to unravel the tension that's in there. The story in their head is showing up in their body. So I want to teach my kids to give it a number from one to 10. Oh yeah, it feels like I feel, I feel anxious. Give, ideally give it a name, but if they can't figure the name out, at least give it a number. So imagine this. Okay, right now I'm on this call. I'm feeling like there's it's a six out of 10. Yeah, I notice I have a bit of anxiety about it. So I right now in real time on this call can notice that in my chest because I'm a bit elevated and energized. And then I can remind myself to breathe and just be with the feeling a bit so I can just tease that out of me. So then if I'm going to say something with succinctness and clarity, the chances of me doing that is going to be optimized, right? So those are specific, very easy exercises that you can do with your kids. And they seem almost too simple, you know, but 
unless your kids are doing some sort of mindfulness. And then, and then here's the most interesting and powerful piece. People go, okay, well, be in your body, stay with your feeling. So if you imagine that that feeling has a intelligence and a wisdom and a dignity to it, there is some transmission at the end of that tether of the feeling that is dying to reveal itself to you. That is your access to your unconscious mind. So to get access to your unconscious mind, you ain't ever going to get it here. You may get it from other people that you ask, but the best place is to be able to stay with the feeling through to completion, which none of us got taught by our parents. And at the end of that tether, get the epiphany that needs to be downloaded. That is that is a game changer right there. Because even, even yourself. you mentioned this and we talk about parenting with their children. You're talking about getting aware of their emotions, their body and the breathing. Wouldn't you suggest like coaches, we need to do more of that with our athletes, like at practices or games and, and things like that and working with them? A hundred percent. I would reckon. I mean, if I was going out and we were going to do a practice or even a game, I would take what, three to five minutes, whatever you could spare to have calm. I don't know what that kid just came from. We don't know if their parents just yelled at them. We don't know if they had a bad day or what's, what they're dealing with. So first of all, we want to clear whatever heavy energy they might be bringing in because you want them to show up as their best self for the game. So that's one. That's one reason why we're going to clear. The next piece is that when you're in a high energy, you've activated all your energy centers, and now you're pumping in that place, then you can prime their mind for a visual. You're priming their mind for what they're going to put out there and how they're going to show up. So that to me is also powerful because then they get to clear and they get to step into their power, which is what you want. But the other magical piece of that is you're teaching them, even if they're not learning this at home, how to get into their body so that one day when they're at school and something's going down, they know how to save themselves. So what would that look like? Like, you know, let's say three months before practice, what would you suggest the coach to do? Oh, beautiful. I'd ask everyone if you're on a field and it's, you know, summertime or whatever, I'd ask them to all lie down and I would just guide them through a, uh, a very um, simple uh, relaxation where they start. So I go, okay, guys, just uh, everyone lie down and I want everyone to focus in on um, just like how I did your jaw. Okay. Notice if you're holding any tension, noticing if you're holding any pressure, just let it go. Let it drip right into the earth beneath you. Okay. And then I want you to soften and relax. Use the word soften and relax. Okay. So what you're doing is you're almost brainwashing them in that moment to hear the words. Cause when they hear soft and relax, they probably didn't even know they were holding tension in their jaw until somebody mentions jaw. Okay. Once you go to your throat, go to the back of your neck, go to your shoulders, go to your chest, let it drip right into the earth, even if they're sitting. Uh, and so after you do that, and now, so um, anything that doesn't serve you, just say, let it go, let it, or you can add, um, imagine that it's, you could add in this, like allow it to almost come outside of you like smoke and just visualize it moving around you, right? So see it coming outside of you and, and now they take it outside of themselves and into the space around and let it take up as much space as it wants to. Maybe this big feeling wants to take up the room, the sky, the whole universe. Okay, go for it. That's what I'd let them do. And then after they've had like maybe, and as you can see, that's like, what, minute and a half maybe? Then the last piece is now I, I want them to bring in some energy. 
So I'm thinking earth energy and energy from the universe. Okay. I want to bring in some energy and just like slowly kind of go up and just imagine this ball of energy in there. I like to go with their chakras, but that, whether that's too woo woo or not, but I like going up my energy sensors and I just go, I want you to activate that space. I almost imagine it like a, a galaxy or a ball of light or a flower unfurling, feel the energy and then activate it. Then I go up and I take them all the way to the crown of their head. Again, that's now about 30 seconds, another 30 seconds have passed. And now I want you to shoot that energy in all directions that it goes out in every direction through the earth, through the world, and comes back in through you, in from you, through you. And then from that place, then you're going to prime their mind. I want you to create a visual of how you're going to show up today. The energy, the, the motivation, the, the um, what do you call it? Uh, the collaboration, right? The, uh, and how you show up today. And, when, and on that, that's three minutes. So now they are ready for action. They've let go and now they're primed for the team or the individual job at hand. That would be a simple one. I have lots of those. But that's the, the quickest one I could give you. Jimmy, sounds like I got my new pregame routine ready for myself, you know, so uh, your parenting, you name it, like, all right. So, uh, and then, and then by the way, encourage them to do that right before bed. Oh yeah. Because this is something that, uh, I can't remember who, who said this quote, I think it was Nell Goddard, but whatever you say to yourself before you go to bed, right? Whatever energy space you're in, um, know for the next eight to 10 hours that you sleep, that is unconsciously running through your system. So I want to make sure that before I go to bed, I am in my most beautiful, empowered self. And I can do something about that so that when I go off into la-la land, right, in my unconscious, my unconscious is serving me. Those are fun things that you can have kids do, and that becomes part of their life. Hey, hey Jace, I know you're getting ready to wrap up, right? You're getting ready to wrap up before yeah, kids. Yeah, yeah. I want to I, I want to say something real quick. So I go back to what you talked about, uh, Rhea, where I think as parents, we have to watch how we compare our sons and daughters to each other in athletics. And I see this all the time, like, oh, Rhea's so good at this and Jason's not good at this. And and I think you have to really watch that. And I because yes. I praise a certain child because they're so gifted and the other kids not. And I seen that happening. Kids, they feel inadequate. They don't feel the love as much. Um, but in saying that, I want you to tell me, I only got a couple minutes before Jace gets in the four cues, but you talk about dreamy relationships. How, yeah. how do I develop a dreamy relationship, especially with my wife and my children? How, how do you do that? Okay. I'm, I'm going to share. Um, I'm gonna, that's such beautiful questions you guys are asking. Just one quick thing about, um, you mentioned, you know, the comparisons that happen, uh, to really create change, you have to internalize it as if it's happening to you. So when we talk about favoritism or giving one person praise, I want you to imagine if you guys went to a cafe and you had two friends that you really like, and one of them says to um, says to the other friend, not you, you're so funny and you're so interesting. Like you just like you just have such an interesting mind. Even if you agree that this person right next to you, who is your friend? Is true. They're funny and they have an interesting mind. You cannot help but feel, but what about me? Yeah. That alone, if we just always bring it back to ourselves first, that's where the compassion and empathy will come from. Mm -hmm. So it's harder to take perspective when we're thinking about other people. You have to first personalize it. Okay. 
So, because it's such an important point that you just brought up. Does that make sense? What, yes, what yes, it does. Yeah. Totally. So uh -huh. the, um, how do I have a dreamy relationship with my kids and my spouse and whatnot? Uh, my number one go-to, because I'm into how-tos, my number one go-to is I ask. And I've been asking my kids this since they were four. And I ask my husband on a regular basis, how can I love you in the way you want to be loved? Teach me how to love you in the way you want to be loved. Nobody asks that question. How can I be a better sister? How can I be a better brother? How can I be a better friend? I've taught my kids to ask their friends that question. And you know what? They always have an answer. That's the thing. All of my son's friends go, well, you could call me more. You know, if you just call me more, you didn't call me over the, 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 the winter break. You didn't call me over March break. And then my son's like, yeah, I, I got to call him. I promise I'm going to call him. Good. So people, if you create the safety, they will give it to you on a silver platter how they want to be touched, how they want to be spoken to, how they want it to be treated, how they want to be loved. It is the most beautiful question we can ask. And we're all dying. Could you imagine if someone asked you, oh, I like this, but not like this. So for my husband and I, I mean, we, we talk about this kind of a lot, but every three months for sure, we would have sit down and we would talk about what's really working because we always want to have our shoulders squared. What do we love that's working really well in our relationship? What feels magical? What do we want to keep doing? I want my husband to feel like the king when I share this and vice versa. I know that. And then we talk. So on the banks of that, I think about it like a, what I call a love sandwich. Okay. Love. The meat is some feedback and you end it with love. Anytime I'm giving feedback, I'm always thinking about the love sandwich. Okay. And you're not, when you want to give the feedback, you're not doing, but right. <laughs> you want to be wary that how you transition into the meat of that and then with love. Uh, so um, where was I? Oh, so my husband. So then I get into here's what can we do? Because we know we're going to ask this question. What can we do that would just make us feel even more delighted? So I'm going to I just need to share one with you really quickly. OK, so I'm going back like many years ago. One of the things that's very characteristic me is I'm very touchy feely. OK, so I, I'm, I came up from a very affectionate home. So one day when I asked my husband this question, he says, well, I feel like you could touch me more. Now, this is about 10 years ago. He said this and I instantly I just want to I'm sharing this for a purpose. I noticed that I felt a bit defensive inside of me and I noticed that I'm thinking, but I but that's the thing I do. That's my thing. I touch people. Right. And so here's what happened. I noticed the feeling inside of me. I breathed through it and I came back like this wide eyed and curious. <gasps> Tell me how you like to be touched. And then I found out it's when he's on the computer doing his little geeking out stuff. He wants me to just run my hand across his back just to say, like, as if to know he exists, right? So I go, oh, so here's what I did. The next day, he's sitting at his computer, have this nice big intel that's now in the front of my brain. And as he's on the computer, I rub my hand just along the side of his shoulders and back and I go, like that? And he looks at me and it's not a matter of, oh, I told you yesterday, that's why you're doing it. He's just so grateful that I'm so interested and curious and willing to execute. So it's not just asking for the feedback. It's taking notes like this is the most important thing of your life. And then you come back two days later, a week later and go, how am I doing with that? Because they will give you feedback. That's, mm. that's the feedback loop. How am I doing? Do you notice a difference? And you have to be okay with no. Because remember, this is some of our egoic, most defensive parts of us. What? My love isn't the way it's not landing for you. What? But that is 
extraordinary. That's an extraordinary way to love. Thank you. Thank you. And thank you. Because I just taken notes and uh, I'm writing that down and I got to go back and listen to it again. So thank you. Oh, you're welcome. You're welcome. Hey, from uh, minute 52 to minute 55, Jimmy, that's going to be on like repeat. I want to clip that part just by itself. Yeah. Uh, Maria, we always finish with the four cues with 40 athletes. So our lightning round questions um, to give us the last little bit of insight before we finish the show today. Yeah. Um, so number one is this. In your opinion, what does it mean to win in the game of life? Yeah. To win at the game of the life to me is where you know how to be proud of yourself, the ability to trust your future self. It's like the voice that's in your head. If we can get to the place where the voice in our head is clapping for us, we're not looking for the coach to say it. We're not looking for mommy and daddy to give me some sort of like kudos, but we know how to clap for ourselves and be proud of our achievements. That to me is winning at the game of life. Mm. Mastering your mind, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, looking, yep. You're um, a cheerleader, though, Jason. You got to be your that? cheerleader. You got to be That's your right. cheerleader. That. Yeah. Nailed it. Uh, number two, if you could spend time with anyone you admire, you mean in sports, out of sports, you know, you name it. Well, you know, which one? Uh, who would you pick? It could be passed away or alive. Who would you pick and why would you choose them? Okay, so I'm going to tell you right now, I don't follow a lot of sports people, okay? So okay. I know all the, I know all the big names. I'm not watching to to but here's what when i think about that question i'm looking for somebody that is holistically looking to upgrade their life not just in the area of their sport now we know that when i say holistic i'm talking about um mental physical spiritual emotional they're conscious that every aspect of that improves their life improves their game improves everything and it, it spread it filters out in all directions off the top of my head i know that kobe bryant for example put a lot of energy in trying to understand himself, his motivations, his behaviors, his a lot of time spent on meditation. For that reason, I'm going with Kobe Bryant, not because, but he's one of the people that I think looks at, looks at his own excellent in sports holistically. So I'm going to go with Kobe. Jim, the ultimate 4D athlete, right? 40 yeah, I, thought, I thought she was, I thought she was going Tom Brady. I thought she was going down Tom Brady road, but yeah, that, I mean, Kobe, I can see that too. Kobe, there we go. Yeah. Um, so question number three is this, what is the best advice you've ever received from a coach that you played for or worked for or been around? What's the best advice? So I'm going to change that up just a little bit. I'm going to say what the best coaches and the, that I feel what they embody. And it, to me, it's this, their energy and their words say, I believe in you. I've got you. Not I'll only love you if you win, not if we win gold. That's like you win gold, but you lose esteem. I'm a coach myself. I work with parents from all over the world. And the thing that makes me transformational when I'm coaching, it doesn't matter what strategy I'm giving them. It doesn't matter. It's there's something in my energy, my voice and my words that says, I believe in you. And then when I have such an unshakable stance in that, they can't help but rise. So that's that's what I think probably not answering your question, but that's what I'm going to go. No, it, I mean, I, I think yeah. it goes back to it's, it's great because it's being an unconditional coach and yeah. not letting circumstances and the scoreboard and things like that, there's a losses determine whether you really care for somebody. Right. Because yep. as you know, and I know if you're an athlete, you know, a coach truly cares for you, for who yes. you are, not what you do, mm -hmm. they'll do so much for you. Right. 100%. Play really hard for yeah. you. Um, Love that. 
The last question is this. If you had like one character trait or life skill that say you're a coach and you had a team and you're bringing part in your organization or the organization you have and you're recruiting people to work for you and there's one life skill or character trait they could have, what would it be and why? I would say the ability to be inspired by the success of others rather than, oh my gosh, they won and I'm a loser. So you're always comparing yourself, not to the other person, but to your best game or just you. You're the person that you're doing the comparison by. You're comparing yourself um, to your, your possibility and your potential. Yeah, because I think that this comparison that we do with other players or on the team is very damaging to our spirits and um, it disempowers ourselves. So we want to turn any envy into admiration. Mm. Yeah, it's yeah. always about how you did, not comparatively. Nice. Well, Rhea, uh, really appreciate you coming on the show today. Tell us more where people can uh, learn more about you, connect with you. Where can they find more about Rhea Lala? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I, you can check me out on my my website. It's BillGreatMinds.com. But for anyone who's out there who wants to have some questions that they can ask their kids that can help build relationship and build their EQ, you can just go to BillGreatMinds.com slash gift. And I have I have uh, some uh, some freebies there for you. So go check it out. Yeah. Well, thank you, Rhea. appreciate you uh, coming in and uh one thing that happened earlier, you said going in La La Land. I thought you meant like that's your last name. I was like, get your own like EQ theme park that you're going to build out. So I uh, that's coming to works, but. Yeah. Um, that would be kind of cool. I think that's La La Land. Yeah. La La Land. There we go. Yeah. So, hey, Jason, as, as you're wrapping up, I got to say, hey, you're telling me that this is going to be a great episode and you're excited about it. But I want to tell you, Rit, you've made me a better person. So thank you. Yeah. for spending an hour with you because I am better, a better parent, a better coach, and now I'm even going to be a better husband. So yeah, husband. Well, thank you so much for having me on. This was a lot of fun doing this with you guys today. Hope people my wife fun. agrees, too. She's here right now. My wife says, heck yeah, he's going to be a better yeah. husband. Let's go. Hey. All right. So there you, you go. Hey, hey we, have a first today. we have a first day, Jimmy. A wife hopped on our podcast and was super excited about it. So, there hey. Milestone. Yeah, first time, yeah. Rhea's on there. It's like, <laughs> hey, rock and roll. Make my husband Amazing. better. I love that. Yeah. Well, Rhea, enjoy the rest of your day today. Thank you. You guys as well. Take care. Bye-bye, guys. Good. Well, Jimmy, you know, parenting and relationships are probably the most important aspect of our lives, especially the relationship with ourselves and the ones we love the most. And in 40 Athletes, we've actually developed a week that's centered on relationships. But, Jimmy, we also have something for parents. Can you tell parents where they can find that that demo course that we talked about? Well, yeah, I think you got it. Where's it at, Jason? Well, hey, it's in the description below in the YouTube link. So check it out. Click you, on you it. You do. I, I probably got an egg hunt with Easter coming up trying to find it, and you can find it real quick. Be sure to click on that link. We got five days available to help you have a better experience with your kids in sports, so that way all of you can enjoy sports even more. Jimmy, we got better today, man, and that's – Something that we hope that other people got better as well. So I appreciate it, Jason. All right. Have a good one. You too. Take care.